Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Uh, this summer, we are going through the Apostles' Creed, and the Apostles' Creed has been affirmed by the Christian church worldwide for uh, thousands of years, and it has two major purposes. The first is to establish us in the fundamentals of our faith, and the second is to correct false and heretical teachings, which it is still doing today. And so, would like to ask you Christians to recite the creed with me once again, uh, not only memorizing it in your head, but also cherishing it in your heart. And so, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we again dive into your word this morning uh, and use the Apostles' Creed as a framework to understand the foundations and the basics of our faith, God, Lord, pray that you would reveal yourself to us today, that you would reveal the identity of Jesus, not only again to our heads, but to our hearts and to our souls, that we may embrace who you are and it may change us and transform us and overjoy us that you have sent your son Jesus to dwell among us, to love us and to rescue us. And we pray this in his name, amen. How important to you is the identity of another person? Of the titles that they hold or the accolades that they claim? How important is it to you? There is over seven and a half billion people in the world. And so how important is another person's identity to you? Well, I would argue that the importance of it has to do with the amount of overlap it has with your own life how much their identity overlaps with your relationship with them. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, I was flying from Chicago out to Seattle. And next to me on the plane was this dad. And he was from Canada, and he's flying back to Canada. His son was in Chicago for a hockey tournament. And the whole flight from Chicago to Seattle, the dad was telling me about how amazing of a hockey player his son was. 
and how his son was the captain and how you should remember his son's name because he's going to be famous someday. And he went on and on and on about how great his son was. And as nice as it was to hear about how much this guy loved his son, I really did not care because it had absolutely no impact on my life at all. And so I was nice in my listen, I smiled, you know, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I have no idea what the kid's name is. I didn't even remember it before I went off the plane because it doesn't impact me. Contrastingly, when we first planted Jacobswell Church, I remember there was a Sunday. Uh, we were at Green Bay Community Church in the chapel. They graciously used that when we first started Jacobswell Church. And I remember I came up front either to pray or to read some scriptures, or maybe it was even after the sermon. I remember afterwards sitting down in the front row next to my family. And I put my hand on my wife's leg as, as a husband puts his hand on his wife's leg. And after a few seconds, I heard a voice saying, I think Trisha went to the restroom. And I looked over, and next to me was my mother-in-law. Awkward. All of a sudden, that person's identity and title mattered a whole lot, right? I don't care whether a kid is a captain of a hockey team in Canada, but I care whether the person I have my hand on is my wife or my mother-in-law. And my guess is they care about that too, right? Sometimes a person's identity and titles mean very little to you because there is very overlap between you and them. But sometimes it is absolutely critical Because it not only affects the way that you view a person, but also how you conduct yourself towards that person. You know, whether you are a Christian or not, it is virtually undeniable that Jesus is the most influential historical figure in the history of the world. From just three years of public earthly ministry, Jesus has influenced millions of lives, multitudes of nations, and numerous movements. And the reason that Jesus' identity and title matters is because Jesus does not simply claim to be a teacher or to be a good man. But Jesus actually claims to be your Messiah, to be your Savior, to be your Lord. Jesus claims to have the most important relationship with you out of anyone in the entire universe. And so we can accept what Jesus says about himself, or we can reject what Jesus says about himself, but we cannot remain indifferent towards what Jesus claims about himself. And so today, we are faced with a question. We're faced really with the most important question ever asked in the history of the world. Who do you say that Jesus is? If you would, please open up to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, it is, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that is for you to keep. We're on page 822 in that red Bible, uh, 977 in the large print blue Bible, and 1042 in the children's Bible. Just prior to the passage that we're going to be looking at today, Uh, Some Jewish leaders asked Jesus to prove his divine identity to them. Jesus rebukes them not only because he's already giving overwhelming evidence, but because Jesus knows their hearts and Jesus knows that no matter what he does, they will not put their faith and trust in him. 
And so now Jesus pulls away from these religious leaders to be alone with his apostles, and he's preparing them as they continue this journey towards the cross. And Jesus asks them, again, the most important question in human history, a question that all of us should be asking ourselves. What do we believe who Jesus is? So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 28. Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciple, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one, that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." If you're here today and you confess to be a Christian, maybe you look at the title of this sermon or the passage that we're in and you are tempted to believe that this is a sermon for non-Christians only, for people who do not identify Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. But I want to encourage you, Christian, to acknowledge that you too need to be increasingly convinced of the identity of Jesus. I know I do. You know, not, not only because I wrestle with my own doubts from time to time, but because many of the issues in my life are a result of my not completely grasping who Jesus is. When I feel anxious or angry about a situation, it is often because I have not yet truly fully grasped that Jesus is Lord over everything. 
When I cherish the created things of the world over the creator, it is because I have forgotten that Jesus is the precious son of God. When I fail to be burdened by the souls of my friends and my families and my neighbors, it is often because I have forgotten that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian or not really sure what you are, this is a passage that is a gift from God to help us more fully grasp the true identity of Jesus. Now because of the overwhelming power of Jesus' ministry, people have always been guessing at the identity of Jesus. We see that here even in this passage. In verse 13, you can look there with me. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus is talking about himself, and they know that as well. And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now the answer that the apostles give is a true answer. It is representative of the conclusions that the populace has made about who this man Jesus is. And we see this even in the Gospels. For example, some do say that Jesus is John the Baptist, who's come back from the dead. That's what Herod believed. Herod believed that Jesus was was a resurrected John the Baptist who had come back to judge him. And certainly there are commonalities between John the Baptist and Jesus. Both of them spoke about the kingdom of God. Both of them called people to repentance. Some people said that Jesus was Elijah, This is a compliment, just like John the Baptist is. Elijah was a great prophet who preached boldly against idolatry like Jesus did. He did great miracles and proclaimed the kingdom of the Lord just like Jesus. But like John, he was just a mere man. He had his own failures, his own doubts. Some said Jesus was like Jeremiah, the prophet. Again, a title of accolade. Jeremiah was a prophet that persevered in his ministry under unjust suffering. Others say Jesus was one of the prophets, like Isaiah, who proclaimed the word of God faithfully. Now all these understandings of Jesus' identity would be flattering for most people, but they're not for Jesus. Because Jesus is far greater than John the Baptist, far greater than Elijah, far greater than Jeremiah or the prophets, or all of them combined. Let me give you this example. If you saw me at the park throwing a football with my son, and you came up to me and very sincerely said, wow, you're really good at throwing the football. You're like Aaron Rodgers. I would start glowing, right? Like, oh, thank you. You know, I'm glad that you noticed. But if you walked down that park, and in another field, you saw Aaron Rodgers throwing a football with his kids, or with kids, he doesn't have kids, I don't think, but with kids, and you're like, wow, you are such a good thrower of the football. And and with all sincerity, you say, you are like Dan Jackson. How encouraged do you think, he'd laugh at you, right? He'd be like, who is that guy? He's That's an insult to him because he's far greater at this than I am. When these people come and they say, oh, Jesus, you are like John the Baptist. You are like Elijah. You are like Jeremiah. You are like the prophets. For most of us, that would be a compliment. But for Jesus, it's an insult because the people have not fully understood his true greatness. 
The same thing happens today. I don't know if you know this, but virtually every world religion respects Jesus. Many Jews believe that Jesus was a teacher and a rabbi, but not the long-awaited Christ. Islam believes Jesus was born of a virgin, is to be revered as an important teacher and prophet from God, but certainly not the Son of God. Hinduism believes Jesus to be a holy man and a Hindu saint. They respect the teaching of Jesus and even believe that he is a God amongst thousands of other gods. Buddhism believes Jesus was an enlightened man, a wise teacher, a holy man, but not Lord over all. The New Age movement, which is the air that we breathe, believed Jesus was a good man, a moral teacher. But you've seen so many books and, and, and documentaries saying, you know, finding the, searching for the historical Jesus in which they're trying to find a Jesus that is different than the Jesus of the Bible. And so most everybody respects Jesus. They have a high view of Jesus. But like the crowds in Matthew 16, they do not go nearly far enough. And so Jesus asked the apostles, and he asked you and he asked me, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? A good teacher? A prophetic voice? A revolutionary leader? Or someone more? And so we're going to walk through this portion of the Apostles' Creed that confesses Jesus to be the Christ, the only Son of God, our Lord. First, I want to start with the profession, I believe in Jesus. Before we look at the titles of Jesus, I first want to look at the name of Jesus. Earlier in this book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, when the Virgin Mary was pregnant, an angel appeared to her fiancé Joseph. And said this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus comes from the name Joshua, which means Jehovah saves or Jehovah is salvation. And what the angels tell Joseph is that Jesus' name is going to be Jesus' mission. The primary reason why Jesus is coming is to save his people from their sins. And so when you say Jesus, you're not only saying the Son of God's name, you are also saying his mission, which is to save. Now, here's the question. Why did Jesus come to save? And the very simple answer is because we cannot save ourselves. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, last week there were four climbers who were stranded on Mount Rainier. Uh, they'd, they'd made up to over 13,000 feet, but they were unable to continue the climb because of the strong winds which destroyed their tents and destroyed their equipment. And so they were stranded for three days on the side of this mountain and it was cold and they were frostbitten. And crews finally came in a helicopter and, and saved them and brought them off of the mountain. Now imagine if you were one of those climbers stranded on the mountain for three days, frostbitten, miserable, 
and the helicopter comes and it lands and the guy gets out of the helicopter. And he says, listen, if you want to make it down the mountain, what you need to do is just put your left foot, then right foot, then left foot, then right foot. Drink a lot of water. Work hard. I believe in you. You can do it. Go get him. Good luck. And then he leaves. What words might you have for that man? I'm guessing not good words. Why? Because when you were stranded, you did not need a teacher. You did not need a motivational speaker. You needed a savior. You see, in all other religions, their God sends a prophet to teach people how to stop sinning, how to shape up, how to gain God's approval. But in Christianity, the good news of Christmas is that God did not simply set a prophet to tell us not to sin. God sent Jesus to save us. And that's why Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come to save us? Well, the very simple answer is because we cannot save ourselves. No matter how much teaching we receive or how much encouragement we receive, we need a Savior because our condition is so awful that apart from him, we cannot save ourselves. Now, how does Jesus save us from our sins? Well, look in verse 21 of today's passage. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. God saved us not by a helicopter, but by his son. Jesus, who knew no sin, became our sin to take on the punishment for our sin and then to raise from the dead to give us newness of life, to conquer Satan's sin and death on our behalf. If you come here today overwhelmed by your sin, crushed by your failures, dismayed by your inability to break a sin cycle in your life, the good news is that Jesus came to save. You see, the name Jesus is nice news for those who are confident in their own moral pedigree. But for those who understand the depth of their sin, the righteousness of God, Jesus is not just a nice name. It is the sweetest name ever spoken. Because Jesus means Jehovah saves. I believe in Jesus. Second, I believe Jesus is the Christ. Verse 15. He said to them, but who do you, this is plural, so if you're in the south, who do y'all, right? Or in the north, use guys, right? I think that's how it's said. But who do use guys say that I am? Simon Peter replies as a representative of the apostles, you are the Christ. Now this might, at first glance, not strike us as an amazing profession. Um, the term Jesus Christ is often used in conjunction. Uh, sometimes we think Christ is Jesus' last name, right? Like Dan Jackson, Jesus Christ. But the word Christ is not a last name, it's a title, that is extremely pregnant with meaning and anticipation. It means anointed one or Messiah. 
The Gospel of Matthew, which we're reading from, is a very uh, Jewish-oriented gospel written to Jews to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah that was promised. Most likely, the, the recipients were Jews who knew the Old Testament scriptures, who knew that in the Old Testament, God promised a Christ and a Messiah and a Savior that would come and deliver the people of God. This Christ was first promised in Genesis 3.15 to Eve, that her seed, that from her will come a descendant that will crush the head of Satan. It was reconfirmed to Abraham that from him will come a blessing to all the nations who was going to be the Christ. It's reaffirmed to David when the Lord tells David that he will bring from his line a king whose kingdom will never end. It's reaffirmed throughout the Psalms and in prophecies of Daniel and Zechariah and Isaiah and more. And so the Christ, the Messiah, this anointed one was the one that Israel had been anticipating for thousands of years to be the one that would deliver the people of God from their bondage, from their misery. He would be the one that would make everything right again. The one that would save them and would deliver them. He was the hope of this people for thousands of years. And so now Peter has the audacity to say that he has been convinced that the one the people of God have been looking for is now the very person he is looking at. Again, imagine you are you're stranded for three days on that mountain. How long would that feel? It would feel like 300 days waiting for someone to come and rescue you. And yet the people of God were waiting thousands and thousands of years for this Messiah, for this Christ, for this anointed one to come and to deliver them and rescue them and save them. And Jesus says, you are the one. You are the one that the hope of our nation has been looking towards. You are the Christ, the Messiah. You know, all of us long for a Christ. All of us long for a Messiah to deliver us from the darkness of our life. You see this in earthly romantic relationships. When people echo these words, either verbally or in their hearts, you complete me. We observe this in professional sports when a certain athlete is designated as the Messiah or the Savior. We observe this in politics as people swear their undying devotion to a candidate whom we are convinced will make all things right again. We are obsessed with finding a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one. But none of them meet the longings of our soul. There is only one Messiah. There is only one Christ. There is only one anointed one who provides for our deepest needs and satisfies the longing of our soul, and it is Jesus Christ. And so I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Third, I believe Jesus is the only Son of God. Verse 15, again, Jesus said to them, but who do you guys say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice Peter does not say that Jesus is a Christ or a son of the living God. He doesn't say Jesus is my Christ and my son of the living God, but I can't speak for other people. Peter says you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Now we studied just a few weeks ago how, how all who trust in Christ are sons and daughters of God. And amazingly, we are loved to the same extent that God loves Jesus. But yet Jesus is the only son of God, for Jesus is the only begotten son of God. This doesn't mean that Jesus was born, or it doesn't mean that there was a time when Jesus was not but that Jesus eternally proceeds from the Father and has a unique, one-of-a-kind relationship with the Father. Because unlike us, Jesus is divine. He is God in the flesh. He is part of the Trinity. And so Jesus is precious to the Father, the darling of heaven. And he is a son whom which we should cherish and adore just as our Heavenly Father does. You know, last month on, on May 6th, a kid named Archie was born. Archie Harrison Windsor, as the son of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, or Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, as many people know them. And when they had this child, they received gifts from world leaders, from celebrities. As a matter of fact, I think Oprah donated an entire lifetime worth of books for this child to read. Archie Birth was such a big deal that People Magazine put out a special edition in celebration just so that people could adore this royal child. Earlier in Matthew, when Jesus is baptized, we read that after his baptism, a voice comes from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the ultimate Father's Day gift. Not that we give to the Father, but that our Heavenly Father has given to us. Jesus is not the son of a prince. He is the son of the living God and worthy of our reference and awe and adornment. And so let me ask, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God? And if you believe, why do you believe? Do you believe because you are more rational than other people? Because you are more spiritual than other people? Because you are more humble than other people? If you believe these things to be true, Jesus tells us why you believe them. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. As we grow in grasping the identity of Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. The only reason why we can grow in grasping his identity is by the work of the Holy Spirit, a gift of God's grace, that we might see Jesus for who he is, that we might enjoy him and adore him and serve him as his people. I believe in Jesus, Jehovah says, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the ancient promised Messiah. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. Finally, I believe Jesus is the Lord. If you notice, this is the one term that is missing from Peter's profession. He professes Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. But he does not profess Jesus to be Lord, at least not in that initial response. And I think as we read on, uh, not only will we see why he didn't include that in his response, but I think we'll also figure out that there is no mistake that Jesus is Lord. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, here comes Peter's response. The guy who just professed on behalf of all the apostles that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Here's his response. Verse 22. And Peter took Jesus aside. Could you imagine this? It's almost comical. He took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. There's the title, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter calls Jesus Lord, but Peter is not treating Jesus as Lord. Because Peter is dismissing, refuting, rebuking the teaching of Jesus. Peter assumes that he knows better than Jesus. And so while Peter professes Jesus to be Lord over him, Peter acts as if he is Lord over Jesus. So it continues, verse 23, But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was more devoted to the ways of man than to the ways of God. Peter was more more devoted to the human plan of redemption, to God's plan of redemption, to which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter had lordship issues in this area of how God is going to accomplish his salvation. We all have lordship issues. We call Jesus Lord, but we often think we know better than him. We call Jesus Lord, but then we are mastered by the things of man rather than the things of God. We call him Lord, but we follow our desires instead of his commands. We rationalize our sin. We dismiss dismiss God's word in God's way. And so let me ask, where are you having lordship issues in your walk with Jesus? Where have you found the loophole so you not need to obey his commands? Is it in the area of romance, relationships, purity? Knowing what is right but saying, we're in love. Is it in the area of finances, giving, generosity? In the area of male and female roles that Jesus lists out in the scriptures, in the house and in the church? Is it in the area of honoring your father and mother? In the area of prioritizing gathering with the people of God for corporate worship Sunday after Sunday over things like soccer and sleep? Earlier in Matthew 7, Jesus says some terrifying words. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What Jesus is saying is that if you want to know if Jesus is your Lord, Do not simply look at the profession of your mouth, but the profession of your life. How do you know if Jesus is your Lord? Well, if you do the will of the Father, Jesus says, 
when the scripture calls something sin. Instead of justifying your sin and being Lord over the scriptures, you allow the scriptures to be Lord over you no matter how painful it is or how costly it is. When you see your own sin as confronted by the word of God, you repent of it. You ask for forgiveness. You deny your sinful desires and pledge a new obedience to the Lord through the grace of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what Jesus tells us as we read on. Verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny his own ways, his own desires, his own standards, his own plan, even his own life. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Listen, all of us serve a Lord Our Lord is that thing that we center everything else in life around. It could be our job. It could be our kids. It could be our financial security. It could be our sickness. It could be our shopping. It could be our skinniness. It could be our health. It could be our pleasure. It could be our video games. It could be food. Whatever you you, you take everything in life and center it around, it's Lord of your life. And what Jesus says is whatever Lord you are serving is not only unsatisfying, it is extremely temporary. Jesus is the only Lord who gives soul-satisfying, eternal joy. Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. If you're older, you may remember the song, I Fought the Law, by The Clash. And uh, it goes like this. It says, breaking rocks in the hot sun. I fought the law and the law won, right? I needed money because I had none. I fought the law and the law won. Robbing people with a six gun. I fought the law and the law won. This song sings something that we all know. You can deny the authority of the law, but in the end, the law is going to have authority over you. And so you can either submit to the law now and enjoy its protection and its blessing, or you can submit to the law when you are caught, when time is up, and when you receive its just judgment. You see, in the same way, you can deny the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ. But in the end, the Lord Jesus will return and he will have authority over you. When the Lord Jesus returns, he will judge the living and the dead. And every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Either as a Christian or as a non-Christian, you will come to this realization. And so according to this verse, you can either bow the knee to Jesus today and enjoy his salvation and enjoy his blessing and enjoy all eternity with him or when he comes again you will bow your knee and bear the wrath of God against your sin and so we are called to surrender ourselves to the lordship of Jesus for the first time or for the hundredth time because he is a merciful lord he is a saving lord 
He is the messianic Lord. He is the divine Lord. He is the returning Lord. He is the best Lord. He is your Lord, whether you acknowledge him to be or not. Let me end with this. In 2011, there was a young boy named Timothy Pitson who mysteriously disappeared in Aurora, Illinois. And for the past eight years, his family has been searching for him, praying for him, looking for him. Well, this past April, a young man came forward and told police that he was Timothy Pitson, that he had been abducted, that he had been imprisoned in a hotel, and that he had finally escaped. The family was cautiously excited that their boy Timothy had come home. And when they had heard this news, they really had two options. They could either receive this man as their family member or reject him as a lying lunatic. But one thing they could not do is remain indifferent because the influence of this relationship was too big. And so they could either receive him or they could reject him, but they could not remain indifferent towards him. Well, DNA tests proved that this young man was not, in fact, Timothy Pitson, but rather an ex-convict named Brian Reney, who was a lying lunatic. You know, it has been famously said that Jesus is either liar or lunatic or Lord. Jesus could have been a liar who knew he was not the Christ, but was an imposter to get the fame. Or Jesus was a lunatic who really thought that he was the son of God, but was just a crazy man. Or Jesus was who he said he was. And Jesus is Lord over all, who the prophets testified about and who the people celebrated. Friends, you can receive Jesus or you can reject Jesus. But you cannot be indifferent towards Jesus because his claims are too big. The proof is too overwhelming and the stakes of eternity are too high. And so who do you say Jesus is? I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we come confessing there are many areas of our life that your lordship needs to spread over, where you need to bring greater dominion for our freedom and for your glory. Pray, Lord, that we will grasp in a deeper way who you are as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Lord, as the Savior. And that we will submit all of our life to you because you are God in the flesh who has come to rescue us. Because you are good to us always. Because you are merciful and loving. Because your commands are not a burden, but they are a blessing given to us for our good. And so, Lord, help us to live lives that are consistent with our profession of faith that we would allow you to be Lord over all in our life, that we would surrender everything to you as our Savior. As we turn to the table, we're reminded of what you had to do to save us, 
as we turn to the table, we're reminded of how bad our condition was. That, that our sin was so hideous to you that it deserved death. But that Jesus took death on our place at the cross and rose again so that he might be our Savior, so that he might be our Lord. Pray that we would receive these elements in faith and submit to you as our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.